Welcome to America's Commercial Real Estate Show, your source for market intel, forecasts, and strategies. Hello, I'm Michael Bull. Thank you for being with us. This segment is brought to you by Core.Air. Check it out. You can kill 99% of airborne COVID-19 in 10 minutes. Visit Core.Green. Sometimes people ask me, Michael, how do you decide the topics for your show? <laughs> this may sound bad, but... I like to talk about topics that are interesting to me and my clients. And my clients own office buildings, shopping centers. They're, they run real estate departments. They, they control a lot of real estate. And one of the things that when you're involved in commercial real estate business is we're always dealing with contractors, subcontractors, vendors. And, you know, with COVID, there's a lot of changes that have gone on there as well. Well, one of the things you always want to think about is you know, what are best practices for dealing with contractors subcontractors what are some of the mistakes to avoid and some best practices well please welcome my guest it's matt debarra he is ceo of debarra masonry out of uh, california matt thanks for joining us yeah thank you so much for having me well matt uh you know one of the things that uh, we're all concerned about when dealing with a subcontractor is i guess first of all uh is this a quality contractor you know do they have the insurance the funds the wherewithal how do we know we're getting a quality contractor or subcontractor with some tips there yeah i got a lot of them um you know it's really to jump into the tips it's a little easier to understand the segments there's four segments when dealing with any contractor and i cover this a lot in the book the undercover contractor you got to find them vet them hire them and manage them and so when you break it up into these bite-sized pieces it makes the whole process a lot easier because you know exactly where you are in the process and you can understand both where you're heading next as well as your overall goal. So find them, vet, vet them, them. Uh -huh. and hire, what's next? Uh, hire them, okay, and then manage them. And manage them, yes. And thanks for mentioning your book. So he's writing a book called Undercover Contractor and love the subtitle, How Not to Get Screwed by Your Contractor. You know, hey, that's just saying it like it is, right? I'm a straightforward guy. I like simplicity. I get right to the point. So, <laughs> all right. Well, well quickly, uh, how can we find the right ones? Yeah. So, the way to find them first, we got to understand that co construction as a whole is very divisional, right? So, you got your contractors that do small jobs, your contractors that do midsize, your contractors that do large jobs. So, when we understand that, especially in your space, right, in the commercial space, we want to make sure that we're dealing with companies that are big enough to handle the projects. Um, so, you know, a lot of times uh, contractors, if they don't really specify what it is that they do, a lot of them want to say that they can do everything, right? They're like, oh, I do bathrooms. I do kitchens. I can remodel this. Oh yeah, 30 units, no problem. Okay, I'll do a 30 floor building too, right? So you want to be really careful with what their specialty is. So I look for the zone of what I call the zone of excellence. So when talking to contractors, before you tell them the project that you're doing, ask them what they specialize in because it kind of pins them in a little bit of a corner ethically, right? For your benefit. Um, say, what are the type of work that you, you know, I got a lot of things going on. I want to know what do you do best? What do you enjoy most? Those are the two questions that I like because sometimes they do things really well, but they don't enjoy it. Right. <laughs> and you want them to have both because if they have both, they'll be your friend at the end of the project. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Uh, reminds me of me. So somebody says, uh, Hey, do you want to sell this, uh, you know, 150,000 square foot office building. I'm excited. I do that well. That's my strike zone. But since you want to sell this 2,000 square foot office condo, I'm like, uh, yeah, if I accepted it, they're picking the wrong guy, right? I'm not excited about it. Uh, so, so good point. So how do you, how do you vet them? Yeah, great question. So the vetting phase, 
there's a lot to that. And most of it, most of what I find the leverage point I cover in the book is in the find phase. It's really building your list. So assuming you built the right list, you've looked at reviews, you've asked for referrals, you understand how divisionalized construction is. Um, vetting is really simple, right? You want to call them up. You want to ask them. So first, let me explain what vetting is. Vetting is hiring is building your list. Vetting is taking people off the list. And it starts from when you book the appointment, right? So you book the appointment with a contractor. That's when you start, in my opinion, in the way I've drafted it in the book is that's when you start vetting. So it has to do with, do they show up on time? Um, you know, do they know what they're talking about? Most of the companies that we'll deal with in, in your space are going to be what I call divisional, meaning sales and production are separate. So you're traditionally talking to a salesperson on the off chance. You're talking to the general contractor. Those two interactions are completely different. So knowing the split is the company, what I call divisional, meaning you're talking to a sales representative, not the person managing the work or the person that's actually going to be overseeing it. If they're overseeing it, you want to make sure they know their stuff. They should know it off the top of their hand. We have no, no uh, uh, grievances for being really, really specific. And if they don't know it, they're not your person. If it's divisional, I find this to be a common pitfall, especially in the commercial space is we're a little too hard on the salespeople, right? Because they're not necessarily supposed to know all of this stuff. And I've seen instances where, especially with my commercial real estate clients, where they've passed up on great companies because they were too hard on the salesperson, right? They're like, well, he didn't know this off the top of his head. So, you know, he's out in my book. And I'm like, that may or may not be true. I call that a yellow flag in the book. It's something to be mindful of, but it's not something you want to cross somebody off for. Sometimes they need to go back to their production boss and say, hey, look, this is what I have. What do you think? And, and a lot of times you can request a meeting with that person, assuming you've got enough buy-in with that company and it looks like it could be a good fit. That's just one small tip. Okay. What about uh, asking for um, referrals and uh, recommendations of others? I love that question. So it works really well. That's the first step in find. I always say work your network first. The only problem is, is you want to be really, really specific about the type of job that you're doing. I Good see point. it all the time where uh, I know an example, commercial space example, uh, flooring contractor, right? Massive commercial space, ask for a referral. Oh, they just did beautiful flooring in, in, you know, in, in my building. Huge, huge project. He goes, okay, great, calls him up. Problem was he did laminate flooring and he's doing hardwood. Hmm. So they don't do a lot of hardwood flooring. So they screwed it all up, right? Won't mention names, of course, but the job was a nightmare. And it's because it, it's, it, you want to think of it like a pie. A pie is all the work that they do. The wedges or the pie slices are not equally distributed amongst all the services. So that's why I said you want to start with the question of what do you enjoy? What do you specialize in? Because it's like a chef making a meal once a year versus making that meal 10 times a day, seven days a week. Very different meal. <laughs> Very good point. Okay. Well, what else should we think about in vetting them? Because it seems like, you know, if you don't, if they don't have the qualifications, they don't have the financial wherewithal um, and, and the experience, uh, it could be a problem. Yeah. And in, in the commercial space, that's a, you know, the funding and the manpower is a much bigger question. Um, typically, you know, you can vet a lot of the lower level stuff. Like, you know, do they have general experience? Are they like, like most of that stuff is, I find is not the issue. Um, one of the things you can do is you can actually run a vendor request. So you can say, look, I want to understand what you have. I want credit checks based on your vendors. What's your vendor relationship like? Um, and a good contractor, much like you're applying for a, a, a lease, if the job's big enough, um, and it's, and it's mutually beneficial going back to your example of the 2000 square foot space versus, you know, a much bigger one, 150,000 square foot space. If it makes sense for both parties, 
um, dancing a little bit slower, saying, look, I want to check out your vendors. I want to know, do you have a big outstanding balance? Is there any red flags there? Um, you know, strategically asking them who their top vendors are first before you ask this question, you know, phase A and phase B, talking with them and saying, look, who are you, you know, where do you buy from? Who's your top vendor? They say, oh, this one here. I say, okay, great. You know, 10, 15 minutes into the conversation saying, all right, you know, I, I think this could work. I want to check, you know, your vendors and make sure you mentioned this is your top vendor. Can I have a, a credit, you know, check from them to make sure there's not a big outstanding balance or they haven't had any issues um, kind of gets to the root of the problem. And you'll, you can even hear it in their tone if you make the call. Excellent. I like that a lot. Yep. And then one of the things that's been an, an issue uh, in the last year has been, uh, you know, supplies, um, you know, um, and so what should you do there when you deal with the contractor to, to make sure they're going to be able to uh, have, have what they need? I call this in the book, the North Star. So you always want something that you can point back at um, and you want it in a writing. So supplies are actually you, you, the leverage with supplies is actually leverage with the schedule. See, as a as a as a hiring, as, as you're doing the hiring, we don't really care about all the minutia. We care about end of the goal results. Right. Which is I care that my project's done right and on schedule. Right. The contractor should be worrying about the supplies. So if I can pin them down at the far end and nail down a schedule with perhaps liquidated damages or some type of balance that makes it beneficial for both parties. Um, I know in the commercial space, if it's a if it's a really big deal, sometimes they'll do a bonus. Right. So it'll be a bonus penalty. So it'll say, look, if you finish at this point, this is my expectation. If you finish earlier, here's a small bonus. But at the same time, if you finish later, here's the liquidated damages associated with that. And that works really well. I like that. And, and that brings up uh, a great point for us to talk about a little bit more. And that is the real incentives uh, for these, these contractors, um, because, you know, a lot of them are busy and there's, there's a lot of work for these subs and these contractors. Um, and I have heard of a big subcontractor group kind of walking off a job because they got a better job and just walked off. How do you keep them involved and, 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 uh, motivated. That's a phenomenal question. And that's like the, the whole essence of the undercover contractor is I've seen it from both sides, right? My family's been in construction 102 years. So I know what it's like on this side. And I also know what it's like to hire contractors. And so I, I tell people, look, the best contractors really don't need your business in this economy. And I, I say that humbling and respectfully, but it's, it's, it's really what happened in 2008 to 2012. You had a lot of contractors that just said, you know what, I was hanging in there, but I'm done. Right. So there is a true shortage and we have to acknowledge that. I mean, it's the elephant in the room, but it's real. So it, it, it requires a little bit more of a relationship. And and, you know, for example, I, I tell people, look, here's what works in contracting. And, and it'll answer your question directly. You know, contractor comes home. It's a busy day. Right. He gets home at five, six, seven o'clock, even in the big companies. Right. Smaller, big doesn't matter. Long days. Right. Especially a good ethical one. And they've got a pile of things they need to do. The question is, what do you have to do as a client to make sure you're at the top of the pile? Mm -hmm. And that's, that's the, you know, that is literally, and I know that because I've been on that side of the fence, right? I've come home with the big briefcase and I'm like, okay, I got 37 things I have to do. I got two hours to do it. Who's my priorities? Oh, well, Joe's really nice, you know, or Tom, or I really like that project. I think, you know, they're going to be a good relationship. So thinking about it from their perspective is what's going to help you on, on that end. And it's being good and fair. That's why I said bonus versus liquidated damages, a lot of people want to just give a punishment. I'm like, well, that's fine. But then you get, you have no incentive, you know, for, for creating a long lasting relationship, looking for yeah. balance and harmony. And what about, uh, to incentivize 
contractors to stay on time and on budget and, and keep your project on the top of the list. Uh, is there a good idea to do some scheduled check-ins, some scheduled kind of meetings and, and uh, how often would that be? How does that, how does that work? Yeah. So the North star is having the schedule in writing ahead of time. That's the thing you can point back to. So you never want to be, you don't, you, you never want to be in a situation where you don't have something to point to. Like I always tell people, look, if you don't have something to point to, you're already, you know, you're already on the short end of the stick. So that's the first thing. So I always say, get a schedule in writing. Um, a good contractors don't want to be held to really, really tight necessarily, not always, but sometimes don't want to be held to really definitive things because they can't control every variable. Right. They're like, well, I don't know what I'm going to find when I pull up the drywall. I don't know. So, you know, we, we have to understand that give and take. Um, but in terms of getting them to stick to a schedule, step one, have in writing. Step two, check in frequently in the beginning of the project. It's like launching a plane. Right. Once you get it to cruising altitude, you're fine. It's the takeoff and the landing. Right. And that's literally a construction project. It's the takeoff. It's are they here? Where do they you know, where do they start doing the work? You know, do they have the right safety protection? Um, you know, are they blocking, you know, traffic for people in and out? Um, you know, that's really important. And then it's the end. It's the punch list. It's the organization of the cleanup. The middle of the project, if you land those two areas, the start and the finish should be just smooth sailing. Okay. And we're talking with Matt DeBarra with DeBarra Masonry. And uh, he's writing a book called The Undercover Contractor, How Not to Get Screwed by Your Contractor. And uh, love, the, love the subtitle best. Um, what are some tips, Matt, for uh, the actual agreements? And what are some mistakes to avoid with the, the construction agreements? Yeah, there's a there's a lot. Um, and it, obviously, with the increasing dollar value, you know, the more you're spending, the more you want to be careful. But basically, uh, you know, quick summary, you always want to make sure you have a specific materials and associated warranties. Number one. Uh, number two, and this is a big one, is change orders. Um, mm -hmm. You want to ask, and this goes in the vetting phase, but you want to casually ask your contractor when you're walking through, look, what are some things that can go wrong here? How might this scope expand? Because if they tell you there's nothing that can go wrong or nothing can happen, you know, as well as I do, that's never the case, especially with, you know, renovations or, or you know, repair work or, or anything along that line. When you're taking somebody else's work out, you never know what you're going to find. Um, so what do you put in the, the agreement related to change orders? So what I like to do is I actually like to have an email, um, a summary of a conversation where, you know, we have some of those bullet points and it's kind of that's in my vetting phase. But what, what ends up in the agreement is um, them basically saying, look, here's my scope. And I'll tell you about the friend test in a minute. That's really helpful for, for clear scopes. But um, here's my agreement. And then this is what it doesn't cover very clearly. And we've just, we've discovered that because we've asked them what could happen, right? What could go wrong? What, what might not be included? Um, and if you ask three or four contractors that, and they're good ethical contractors, you'll get the whole scope. You'll get, you'll eventually be able to complete because contractor A will be worried about one part, B will give you this. And if you take all those tidbits and you roll them up, you'll have a full list of things that aren't included. I usually ask for allowances or budgets for those up front. Okay. Well, what would that roughly be? I don't need it in the contract, but if you could send me that in an email, that'd be great because it creates one of the hardest things for um, hiring a contractor is the change order game. I mean, it's, mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's so, so difficult. So asking them where the project can expand and getting some rough budgets ahead of time for that work is huge because if they say, look, you might have mold in these bathrooms. Okay, great. What would that roughly be? I anticipate it'll be, you know, two to three grand per bathroom for remediation. Great. 
then all of a sudden they try and change order you because it's a you know the production department usually typically writes the change orders not sales they turn around and they charge you eight grand it's like whoa, whoa wait a minute i have an email here that says two to three explain to me what mold you found that's outside of this rough budget i'm just curious yeah so it sounds like the more details um, that are in the construction agreement, the better. Absolutely. And I, I do. So to touch on what I said, the friend test. So the yeah. friend test is really simple. All you do is you take the scope of work. Okay. And you take it to somebody who's never seen the work and you have them read it and explain the work back to you. They should be able to explain the scope, the materials and the warranties. If they can't do it clearly, I'm telling you, when you go to arbitration or when you have an issue later, all of those gray areas, the areas where they missed something or didn't, you know, mention something, you know, because you're going to know the scope, right? Whoever's doing the hiring is going to know the scope inside and out. So you just show it to a friend. Hey, can you read this? And then in your own words, this takes no more than two, three minutes. Describe what's happening back to me. And they go, well, it, it sounds like a floor, but I don't know where it is. You go, well, you're right. They didn't put, you know, kitchen floor. They just said floor, right? And you'll, you'll, you'll find all these little things which would absolutely hurt you if things didn't go right down the road. Call it the friend test. I like that, Matt. That's a great idea. I see that a lot with the uh lease negotiations and leases where uh, I'll review a, a lease or a letter of intent and, you know, as a third party looking at it uh, from my brokers and, and the landlords and tenants. And yeah, you immediately come in and, and question something that they kind of thought they knew what it was, but it really wasn't clear. I love that a lot. Yep. And you certainly don't want your, your job, your project uh, to be the reason uh, there's another boat in the Marina called change order with the name on the yeah. back. Right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, when you see a contractor, that's the name of their boat. It's yeah. like, okay, uh, I'd rather see it called the the office so they can tell the family, I'm at the office today, right? Yeah. On the boat. Yeah. Um, well, let's talk about quickly, Matt, some, uh, some kind of scams and, and kind of pitfalls that uh, people should watch out for. Yeah, one of the biggest ones in the commercial space is know your subs, right? So a lot of general contractors, I call them paper contractors, and this is rampant in this space. What, what contractors do is they look really good. And they look good on paper. So they show up, they got branded shirts. They're like, hey, I'm going to manage this whole thing, right? What you care about ultimately is you care about who's installing the flooring, who's ripping the stuff out. So I always say before you hire, you want to know the subcontractors. So I want to know their liabilities. You'd be amazed at the multi-million dollar level of single scope work that is done where the general contractor is actually paying people cash and they may or may not even be licensed. It is wow. unbelievable. And it's it's more prevalent on bigger jobs than it is smaller jobs. So saying to your contractor, look, I know you're managing all these different trades. Um, I'd love to meet and, and be introduced to or understand who's doing the plumbing, who's doing the HVAC, who's doing the flooring, right? It forces them to, because sometimes you'll look up these companies. I've had it happen. I've told you know a lot of people this before I wrote the book. They'd be like, Matt, this company has horrible reviews online. Or, you know what I mean? There's, there's, there's they, They're not even licensed. You'd be amazed. What about insurance, Matt? What should we look out for there? Um, you obviously your insurance is pretty standard. Um, you know, a lot of times you, you audit the certificate for vehicle insurance, certificate of liability, uh, workers comp is a big one. Um, workers comp, it, it, this is some of the stuff it's, it's a little difficult to cover without getting too, too granular, but uh, workers comp is a big one in, and liability is a big one in terms of knowing if they're covered for that scope is huge. I, I did a, a project where the contractor wasn't covered over a certain height, the guy who did it before me, and we had to come and finish it. And there was a big issue. I mean, they, they found all this uh, work that wasn't in the scope. And there was an issue where they damaged some stuff and the liability company didn't cover them. Water got in there, it rained, and they weren't covered over 30 feet. So, you know, the, the owner who this was a, you know, commercial, this was a, um, 
retail space. And then I think it was 10 or 12 stories. This is in Los Angeles and uh, all apartments. And he was just, I mean, it was like, it would cost him more to fight it and try and no assets contractor had no assets. So, or very little. Um, so exclusions based on, so a couple of things, height is a big one. Uh, depth is a big one. So height and depth are huge. That's, those are the two common limitations for contractors is, can I work? Cause those think about it. Those are where your risk factors uh, lie is, you know, digging real deep in the ground or going real high up. So, you know, a quick glance over the liability and understanding are they covered to a certain height or a certain depth is, is just, that one tip alone is, is, will be super helpful. Should you also, once you get that paperwork, make a quick call the insurer to make sure it's still uh, valid. Yeah, there, there is a date. There's usually a date on there, um, a date that it's valid or active. So it's from and to the policy um, renewal period. Um, mm -hmm. But it doesn't hurt. Um, you can also call and ask about the scope and just say, hey, look, I want to make sure um, that this contract is covered. Um, but usually the, the terms and conditions are having them show in their policy uh, where, where it says is better because, you know, obviously the, the, um, the agent doesn't really want to get involved typically. Yeah. Well, I love how you've uh, conquered uh, this topic, uh, Matt, and uh, you're writing your book on it, uh, Undercover Contractors. Great. What would you leave our audience with uh, that, uh, that owns and control commercial real estate around the country as a final thought to think about related to uh, contractors? Yeah, I think, you know, the takeaway thing I see here, uh, you know, is, is slowing down a little bit and trusting your gut. I find a lot of, you know, typically it's a very smart clientele doing the hiring and it's like, I kind of knew this, but I just didn't think. And it's, I find that it's, if I could just get, you know, the speed to slow down a little bit and just really trust that intuition, like don't be shy to ask those questions. Um, that right there is a huge, a huge takeaway for me in this space. Yeah. Sounds like uh, what they say about employees uh, would be, be quick to fire, but slow to hire. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Matt. Well, thanks for joining us. Appreciate the information. Thank you. All right. And thank you for joining us around the country. Let us know what you think. Do you have some more tips uh, you can add to this? And uh, thanks for joining us this week. Until next week, be sure that you always lead, learn, and laugh and join us for America's Commercial Real Estate Show. If you appreciate the show, think about the opportunity to do business or refer business to our sponsors. Bull Realty. For customized asset and occupancy solutions, visit bullrealty.com. Commercial Agent Success Strategies. For incredible commercial agent training, visit commercialagentsuccess.com. Core.green. Use ION technology to create a safer environment for your real estate. Visit core.green. For more commercial real estate intel, forecasts, and strategies, visit CREshow.com.